Morning, everybody. It's time to start running. <sighs> Repeat after me. It's time to start running. That's right. I'm trialing a new kind of New Year's resolution that you don't make until the end of January. That way you've got a fighting chance of not breaking it before the month is out. Uh, I'm also kicking off a short series uh, this week around vision. The following weeks, we'll dive a little deeper into the what's and the, the how's of our vision as a church. And these weeks are not to be missed. So I want to see every single one of you here next week as well. But today, today, I'd like to take a look at what vision means in our context and consider our motivation, our why, and reveal what our vision looks like today. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets that you may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Habakkuk 2, 2-3. Write the vision. Write the vision. Write the vision and make it plain. That's where we'll be going over the next few weeks so that we may run with it. It's time to start running, church. It's time to start running. And running with vision is vital. We need to see where we're going. Without vision, people cast off restraint, run amok, or other translations say, without vision, people perish. Proverbs 29. Vision brings alignment and vision brings hope. I've heard vision described as a, a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by a heart conviction that it should be. I like that. I like that. Without vision, people may perish. But with vision, people and groups of people can thrive. Vision's not just for the elite. A clear vision carries within it an invitation to us all to get on board. Now, okay, I was joking about resolutions, but January is often a time where there's a combination of reflection and anticipation. I know of several churches both here in the town and further afield that are using today to cast vision. There's definitely something in the air. And we're going to be talking about vision today. But come as you are. Come expectant. Come alive. If you're anything, anything like me, you'll understand the thrill of novelty. Hearing and seeing and reading something new. New year, new me, all that kind of stuff. And we do it here in church too. Latest worship music, latest thinking, latest books, latest prophetic podcast, latest church growth strategies. It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. But it can be exhausting, the chase. It can be exhausting. And it can also be distracting. What has God called you? What has God called us to do? Can we just concern ourselves with that? 
Now, last year, a friend of mine shared a thought with his church, and instead of looking for the next thing in almost in isolation, what if we were encouraged to look again? What if there were layers? God was in last year. God was in the, the year before that. He's with us now. He's in our future. What has He been consistently showing us? And what has He been drawing us deeper into? It's exactly three years ago that I stood here and I preached a message from Isaiah 43. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I remember being gripped by the image of uh, flowers growing in the Namibian desert. I just been fascinated with the thought of flowers in the desert. And then I preached that message. Away in the wilderness, streams in the desert. But who knew what was coming next? Eh? Nobody was talking about COVID that day. But within weeks, the whole country was in lockdown. Schools and workplaces and churches were closed. The former things, the ways of old had gone. And yet God made a way in the wilderness. We met on Zoom for virtually all of 2020. And I think actually a lot of credit has to go to Aaron for jumping on this so quickly and steering a course through this time as well. And then there was a brief respite, and then we were back into lockdown for 2021. And there was provision, sometimes miraculous provision, rivers in the desert. We began the process of opening up and re-establishing our meetings, but we should remember that full restrictions were not lifted until just Easter last year. Now, Bible scholars think that Isaiah 43 was written to an Israel that was stuck somewhere between its past and its future, right in the middle of the Babylonian exile, aware of its past with God, but lacking hope and vision for its future. It's fascinating when you look again and realize that we read about that immediately before our own two-year COVID exile. Layers, eh? Layers. Now, I remember that verse being everywhere I looked in the weeks before I spoke. Every podcast I listened to, every Instagram post, I saw Isaiah 43. It was always there. And something similar has happened to me again in recent weeks. Still Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. I'll just read them to you. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your curtains wide, your tent curtains wide, and do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Now, this is a scripture that I heard a lot when I started in this church. And it was great catching up with Andrew earlier as well, reminiscing about the exact same thing. This was a scripture I heard a lot. And a friend quoted it recently, and then I heard it mentioned in an online sermon, and then it was all over Instagram a couple of weeks ago, 
and then I Facebook live, and then I got home, and Jill was listening to some podcast or something, and it was the same scripture again. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Maybe God was trying to get my attention again, but I'm not sure. Recently, I've spent a lot of time on my business. We've been changing direction slightly and focusing more on house alterations and extensions. It seems to be that that's where people are focusing their attention and their resources. So I've been kind of busy with work. And finally, I sat down to look up this scripture. But for some reason, it was the, the New Living translation that I got to first. Not my usual weapon of choice. However, it put it like this. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, spare no... It could have been straight from my website. That's a call to action, eh? Spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams. I had to read it twice. Enlarge your house, build an addition. Oh, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It is time to build. Amen. Amen. Now, again, enlarge your house. Build an addition. If we don't catch anything else of what I'm talking about this morning, please catch this. Not just for my business, for the sake of the church. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home. Spare no expense. For soon you will be bursting at the seams. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. I was listening to a friend actually earlier. He was, he was saying this. Vision is not what we see, but what we allow God to show us. Can God show us this place bursting at the seams? Guys, it's time to get ready. It's time to get ready. We have time now to get ready. Because God is telling us, enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, spare no expense, for soon you will be bursting at the seams. Church, it's time to get ready. It's time to build. It's time to start running with the vision. So, whether we're running with vision or we're building with the vision, the one thing I would know is that we are always moving. Standing still is no longer an option. My favorite quote related to vision is this one. It's attributed to Thomas Edison. I can't verify it, but I love it. Vision without execution is hallucination. Love it. Eh? Let's stop talking the talk. Let's walk the walk, guys. Let's walk the walk. Vision without execution is hallucination. In other words, if we say we have vision and we're doing nothing with it, we're kidding ourselves. It's time to build. It's time to build. One of my favorite scriptures from last year is found in Ephesians 2. We quoted it several times when we finally met together without restrictions around about Easter time last year. Now, a major highlight of the last couple of years is the number of new people who have found us online, even in our exile from the building. So Ephesians 2 says this, you're no longer wandering exiles. This is the message version. You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. 
You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home, and He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what He is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now He's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. And we see it taking shape day by day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into a temple in which God is quite at home. Did you catch it, guys? Did you catch it? The first step is belonging. Much of last year, much of the last year has been about belonging. You belong here. The next step is building. Now he's using you, fitting you in, brick by brick, stone by stone. Jesus is the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day by day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into a temple in which God is quite at home. Notice it is God who is building. It is all his plan. But we're invited to play our part. We're invited in. Earlier in Ephesians 2, Paul writes this. We neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work He does, to join Him in the work He does. The good work He has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So we're invited to join in the building, the good work that He's gotten us ready to do. Belonging, building, and becoming the new creation spoken of in 2 Corinthians 5. Belonging, building, and becoming. And on that timeline today, we've arrived at building. Now, just before we jump into the building plans, which the, the architect in me is screaming to do, can I just, can I just, can, can the pastoral voice just make a suggestion? When the scripture says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Perhaps it is also talking to our hearts. Can we open our hearts to Jesus, to his children? Can we live generously? Can we live open-handed? Not grasping tightly to what we claim is ours, but knowing that we're held tightly by the Father who claims us as his own. Can we do everything from that place? Can I get an amen? Good. It's time to build. It's time to build. Over the next few moments, I want to take a closer look at the exile in Babylon and how the people built back. Now, this story is picked up in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it's in the Old Testament around five centuries BC. That's before Christ, not before COVID. I know we've changed it. Nowadays, Jerusalem has been defeated and the people have been taken into captivity. The next follows the the stories of three men across a period of a couple of generations. And again, I don't have time to really get into it this morning, but I'd really suggest you look again at these chapters. Book of Ezra, Book of Nehemiah, only take you a day or two. Nah, take you about an hour. In Ezra 1, God prompted King Cyrus to allow Zerubbabel and his men to return to rebuild the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. 
So Cyrus, the king, even provided the resources, and this reestablished worship in Jerusalem. So note that point. Number one, worship. Remember it. By the time we get to Ezra 7, sometime later, King Artaxerxes is prompted by God to allow Ezra to return to Jerusalem. And again, he provides the resources and his backing. Now, Ezra is a priest and a teacher of the law. And it's his mission to build up the people and the community and bring spiritual transformation and reformation to the people. So note that, point number two, transformation. So point number one is worship. Point number two is transformation. Eventually, in Nehemiah 1, King Artaxerxes again is prompted by God to allow Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem. And again, this is with his blessing, his protection, and his provision. And it's amazing how God can find for us all we need to fulfill his vision, even if it comes from the most unlikely sources. Now, Nehemiah's concern was for the city, for its gates, for its doors, for its walls. He knew it was ruined and in disgrace. And this broke his heart. He wanted to see the city restored and blessed and thriving. Point number three, note this, bless the city. Worship, transformation, blessing to the city, God's plan to restore Jerusalem. A vision of return, rebuilding, and restoration in three parts. The first part is worship and the presence of God. Zerubbabel restored the altar and the temple. The first action here then is upward. Upward. It's about restoring relationship and connection with God. It's all about worship. The second part is the teaching of the law. Now, Ezra was all about rebuilding the community, the family of believers through God's Word. The action here is inward. He's looking in. It's about spiritual formation and transformation and unity. It's about connection, one another. The third part is rebuilding the city so that it can thrive. This was Nehemiah's concern, that the city would be safe and prosperous. And this action is outward, and it speaks of relationships between God's people and those around them, and the intention to bless, to be a blessing. See, there are layers here. There are layers here. When we look again at what we've taught in the church here in the past, we can see echoes of this story too. We can also gain insight into where we're going next. Three-dimensional, fully-rounded Christians exist in three relationships, up with God, in with one another, and out with the world all around us. And it's all bound together in love. We love our God. We love our family. We love our world. And I believe that it's love that is our superpower here. See, when you get to the end of the story in Nehemiah, it's bittersweet, and it's possibly a warning also. Yes, he did reestablish the temple. Yes, uh, the law was returned, and yes, the city was restored, but 
the people's hearts had grown cold as ever. The Sabbath wasn't really fully kept. The temple was not respected. The city wasn't looked after. And everywhere was disunity. Paul reminds us, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, all, my, all I possess to the poor, I give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but I do not have love, again, nothing. If I have strategy and vision and resources and courses and clever motivational slogans and action points and agreed outcomes and websites and social media campaigns and coverage and have not love, I have nothing. We love our God. We love our family and we love our world. And we can only love because He first loved us. And how do we know that He loved us? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So over the next three weeks, we'll look more closely at the how of loving our God and loving our family and loving our world and what this will involve for us as a church family. Our why is simply that we've answered Jesus' call to build and love. Simply put, that is the vision, to build and love. Perhaps the worship team could come back up now and get ready, and I'll close in a few moments. But our who, our who, is King Jesus. Colossians 3 reminds us, Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's people, holy and clearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The next three weeks, we'll see the rest of the team put some flesh on the bones. But the church we see is a community of worship. The church we see is a community of transformation. The church we see is a community of blessing to our world. The church we see is filled with people and people who live three-dimensional lives up, in, and out. The church we see is filled with people who love their God, love their family, and love their world. The church we see, folks, is alive. It's time to run with us, guys. It's time to build. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we lay down all our plans, all our wisdom at your feet. 
We ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together and bless our plans, Lord, because we believe that we are close to your heart. Lord, fill us with love for one another. Fill us with love for you. Fill us with love for our community, Lord. Transform us. Let this be a place of transformation. Let this be a place of worship where your name is lifted high. Let this be a place that is a blessing to others in our community and further beyond. Oh, Lord, pour out your Spirit on us, we ask, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.